Well, January 7th, I think that was the first Sunday of the year, we started this uh, teaching installment called Influence, and we took ourselves to Acts chapter 20, so that means we're in a town called Miletus, uh, 36 miles south of Ephesus. We learned a little bit about the time and place there and what was going on, and we looked at how to how to have influence, four ways to have influence, three ways to keep us from negative influence as we walk in the world today. We looked at how to finish well from Acts chapter 20. We see warmth and affection. We see tears. We see a prayer uh, in the early church there, and uh, just a great time to look at what it looks like to influence each other. And then we kicked it over to Paul and Timothy's relationship and talked about how God intends the church to be multi-generational that the perspective of the old would go, coincide with the passion of the young and we would be robust and healthy as generations interact with one another. And then last week, we jumped to Ephesians 6 and we talked about influence particularly with parents, very particularly with dads and the influence that we can have on the next generation. We wanna be a next generation church as we think about influence. Today, I wanna preach on joy. I wanna preach on joy. The first service before the offering, I forgot we were taking up the offering, a terrible cardinal sin for a preacher and Lauren had pivoted over this way and in that moment of the worship service I started walking up front I was already four feet of, you know walking up front and I had to do the preacher pivot foot uh, I was so ready I'm ready to to preach on joy I told Susan I'm preaching on joy she said oh boy joy we need some joy uh, Josh McAlpin said he had dinner last night with, with wife Lauren and some friends and on the way, way home they were listening to some country music and he said, man, we need some joy up in here, up in God's house today. So I want to go from Miletus and Ephesus and these other places uh, to, um, to where the Thessalonians lived. This is a community today, or back then, it was, they changed the spelling of it. to uh, They put a K instead of a C or whatever, where the Thessalonians live in Thessalonica. And they, um, if you go today, unlike Miletus, where we were in Acts 20, this is a vibrant area. It's the second most visited tourism site in all of Greece. Second most, it's 873,000 is the current population. They're projecting in the next five to 10 years that it'll eclipse a million people. But back then it was, in, it, it was important as well. It was in the Northern part of Greece. And here's what we know, historically, archeologically, and from Acts chapter 17, we know that Paul preached in this city. It was a team, a dynamic team approach. Team is always better than solo, isn't it? And Paul was preaching and others and people responded. In Acts 17, you can read, I know there's Mars Hill in Athens, but there's also this where the Thessalonians were. And Paul preaches and tons of people accept Jesus Christ. And what was the result of that? Well, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and there's joy, what we're preaching about today. There was great influence because they came to Christ, but there also, it stirred up a lot of trouble. And do you know what happened? A mob formed. And you know what the mob did? They drug, they were dragging Christians out of their home and Paul sneaks out in the middle of the night and he heads to Corinth and it's the understatement of the sermon. When Paul got to Corinth in the days and months after that, he was deeply concerned about those Thessalonians. And so he writes via Timothy and these are the words, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, we're gonna look at two verses in the second chapter and then 1 Thessalonians chapter three, we'll look at a few verses in that chapter. It's kind of funny talking about joy, but in my men's group last Friday morning, we had a guy, we said, you know, turn to 1 Timothy. He was in 2 Timothy. He just read and read and we just listened to him read a passage that wasn't relevant to what we were talking about. And then we lovingly laughed at him and corrected him. But 1 Thessalonians 2, if you're open the Bible, if not, it's here on the screen. One day we want to get a bigger screen, so give some money. For who is our hope or joy or crown or boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at this. What a sharp turn. Is it not you? How about that? You're our joy. 
You're our joy. Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. I believe among the top blessings of life is laughter and good friends. Building memories, living on mission, sharing ourselves deeply, knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. It's at the top, laughter and joy and good friends. Someone texted me this week and they said there's so much, they had never read the epistles, the letters from Paul and John and others and Peter before. In the midst of afflictions and difficulties, um, there's such joy, there's warmth, there's affection and there's tears. We'll talk about how those two go together in a moment. But now let's flip to the third chapter of First Thessalonians and we'll look at six through nine. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. How about that? I mean, we just gave a cursory look at the history but a mob is dragging Christians out of their home. That's, that's tough. And in America, American Christians, we throw out the word persecution, but we want to be very careful, don't we? This was serious stuff. And here Paul's saying, man, I'm hearing good things. I'm, man, we're, we're influenced by people if they go through something hard. We're influenced by people who don't just have a starting faith, but a staying faith. And they did. Picking up where I left off, he reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. By the way, you'll never say that if you don't laugh and have joy. Good memories, like you're not going to go to the group. I would contend you're not going to go back to the church. You're not going to be around a group of people if there isn't laughter. Um, continuing on. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and affliction, he's not talking about some pie in the sky, syrupy emotion. There's distress and there's affliction. We were encouraged about you through, the, through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Notice the deep connection. Like, how you're doing is so connected. To how, like, if you're dying, we're dying. If you're, live, if you're standing firm in the Lord, like, we are living. That is bringing us life. You're connected to somebody that you love if their well-being is bringing you life. The opposite is true. Too many testimonies of that. But isn't this a beautiful thing? Continuing on. How can we thank God for you in return for all the, say it, all the joy we experienced before, before our God because of you? You are the source of our joy. The, the warmth of this letter reminds me of Philippians. Anybody where he's talking about, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. And he, he's basically saying the same thing, that you're my joy. And Paul, you know what he does? He ties, there's this crown of righteousness, this crown where the entry into heaven for anybody. Remember what Jesus said in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, many as received me, to them I gave them the right to become children of God. Everybody is created in the image of God. Everybody bears imago Dei in them because they're human. We treat everybody with respect, no matter who they are, their background, but children of God are those who receive him as their heavenly father. And Paul is writing and he's saying, that's our entry to heaven, but there's this crown of rewards that come and you are our crown of rewards. When we talk about influence, I don't want to not say that in this seven-week series. But our influence, the only thing that's eternal is God and his word and people. And when we talk about influence, our joy in heaven, our joy, our crown of rewards will be uh, in direct proportion to the people that we've influenced, to the lives that we've touched around the room. Laughter is it's a really, really big deal. We live in an age of melancholy. We live in an age where there's a lot of us living like a country song, and it's awfully sad. But into this, into this series of influence, I want to I submit to you that we're not going to have influence. We're not going to be compelling and attractive and magnetic without laughter, and, and we, we need it. We really do. Um, 
Years ago, it was the summer of 2019, I uh, told Susan, hey, you know, pack your bags, we're going to Colorado, and we're going to have a little vacation time. And we went that summer, and she knew a little bit about the trip, obviously. Susan is structured, she likes to know things, she has difficulty living uh, with me, a more spontaneous sort. But I'm like, let's go to Colorado. And what she didn't know, she knew we were flying into Denver and going to different places, Boulder and a lot of different places, but we went to where we met in Fort Collins. So I took her to where we met, it had been a long time, it was the summer of 95, uh, almost 30 years ago now. And we met at this cafeteria on campus of Colorado State, and we went and we reminisced. It was quite magical and romantic and funny when we met, and a lot went into it. And we reminisced, but we spent some time in Denver on the way there and the way out. And one night, we didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm not the best planner in the world. I'm like, well, here we are, downtown Denver, woo-woo, together. And, and Susan said, um, I never thought I'd hear her say this. She goes, let's go to the comedy club. Y'all know Susan? I'm like, I did not expect Susan. And then I followed that up with a, Am I not funny enough? She said, baby, baby, you're so funny. Oh, baby, you are so funny. But let's go see those guys. Let's go see these guys. So we went to the Denver Comedy Club. We checked, uh, we checked it out online to see if it was, you know, appropriate for the pastor and his wife. And we looked at this guy. He had just the leading act had been on Jimmy Fallon. So we watched some of his stuff on YouTube. There were six or seven acts. It was a trip. We walk in. If you've ever been to a comedy club in a big city, especially you walk in and they force you to put your phone in a basket. Like it's not a choice, which is a great idea for church, I think. Just put your phone away. Not a lot of good happens uh, during certain things with the phone. And I told Susan, she didn't expect me to say this, but I'm like, don't sit up front. Let's don't sit up front and don't give any eye contact. And she's like, what are you? I'm like, you like attention? Like you want to be in on this? I'm like, don't sit up front. No eye contact. Because I knew, like I've seen these guys perform form and they'll call us out man you'll be the bun they'll come after me they'll say something about my shiny dome and next thing you know I'm going tick for tack and whatever but we had we had the best time and we laughed and we laughed in the midst of the the laughter y'all there was darkness there was dark you could feel pain you could feel a um a bankruptcy you could feel a, an emptiness in the room we witnessed some things that had to do with anger and a lack of contentedness. And it got me thinking that, you know, number one, why do we pay money for other people to make us laugh? And that laughter, as we talk about it today, as we talk about it as a church, and we need to talk about it, but it's more than a, a cool joke or a clever laugh line at somebody else's expense. But laughter is really important. I, I was thinking about some of these guys, four men, I could, I could quadruple the number of these guys on the screen if we could put that up but these are four men who've made us laugh a lot through the years and I don't know if you recognize these I'll say the names if you're listening online later John Belushi and Phil Hartman and Chris Farley and Robin Williams and all four men had a big following and made millions upon millions to make people laugh but their lives ended in tragedy for John Belushi, to the far left, it was, he was 33 years old in a hotel room with prostitutes, and he took a, a cocktail of heroin and cocaine, and he died at 33 uh, years old. Phil Hartman's wife, in a Hollywood tragedy, shot him and then shot herself. He died face down in his Hollywood Hills swimming pool. Chris Farley's story is very much like John Belushi's, just a little bit earlier, uh, a little bit later in life, I should say. And then Robin Williams, we probably all know his famous story. These men made us laugh, but the tragedy of life and the pain that they experienced overtook them. Laughter is, it's a big deal. I want us today, I want to take you to the medicine cabinet and invite you to go regularly to the medicine cabinet. Proverbs 17, 22, I bet you know this, a joyful heart is good what? It's good medicine. 
but a broken spirit drives up the bones. Here's what I love about the scripture. Science, all these years later, has caught up with what scripture said a long time ago. That when you laugh, when you have a good, hearty, sincere laugh, you're improving your mood, you're, you're releasing endorphins, you're, um, you're increasing blood flow to the muscles, to the lungs, and to the heart. You're decreasing certain pains in your life. You're alleviating stress. You're uh, extenuating learning, enhancing learning in your life. All these are many of the scientific medical benefits of when we laugh. Laughter is good and the opposite is true. Dried up bones are the result of joylessness and taking on stress and comparing ourselves and envying. Proverbs 14.30, I think, is a companion verse. It says, envy rots the bones. A, a broken spirit dries up your bones. We need good friends. We need laughter. A young man talked to me after the first service. He said, Robert, I'd love to talk more about what you talked about, what we talked about Today I'm with a group of guys and I've started getting convicted about the way that we laugh and the way that we make fun of each other. So I want to go on record because we do have uh, young people in the room and watching online. And listen, humor is good and humor is a gift from God. The early church in Ephesus was warned about coarse jesting. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. We want to make sure that our humor uh, isn't cutting other people down. In fact, a big part of laughter is laughing at ourselves. A couple of years ago, not even, there were two consecutive Sundays where I used a pop culture reference, but I did it wrongly. On one Sunday, these were consecutive Sundays, on one Sunday, uh, I said, um, I was talking about how there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy, there's just you and me and we just disagree. I said, like the, like the um, Marshall Tucker band saying. And a guy approached me, he goes, Robert, that wasn't the Marshall Tucker band, that was the Dave Mason band. The next week I said, like, like Robert Plant said, uh, you might as well face it, you're addicted to love. The same guy approached me because Robert, that wasn't Robert Plant, that was Robert Palmer. So here's my question. When are y'all going to correct me on a biblical reference? When are y'all going to come at me when I, you know, I don't handle the Greek text, when I, don't, when I get a verse wrong or there's something hermeneutically or exegetically? When are y'all going to correct me on that? It's always the pop culture references where y'all get me. But here's what I know. It's important to laugh at yourself. As a public speaker, you hate to make mistakes. You hate to get things wrong, but you need to laugh. I need to laugh, and it's always better when we're able, in a healthy way, uh, to laugh at ourselves. Our passage for a church, our church, is Galatians 5, 6. We talk about it all the time. It says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Well, there's a lot of budgets and strategies and line items and discussions and initiatives and different things about a church we always want to go back to that and say, that's our North Star. Is this helping people find faith? Is it helping them, us, express it in love? And if it is, let's do it. Let's pursue it. If it's not, let's don't. But before Galatians 5, 6, we talked a lot in a vision meeting at a home in Northeast Jackson and then at Brent's Drugs uh, some months later and then in Dueling Hall where our church started. We talked a lot about Acts 9, 31. Here's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It, what are we talking about in this series? It increased in number. We're talking about influence. Influence is had when, uh, when the church has a fear of God. Not of man, but a fear of God. When we experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we, we say to each other, let's have faith in Jesus, let's wrap our arms around each other, and let's laugh a lot. And let's meet each other in our affliction, in our distress. This is the church that I want to be. Some people would say, 
without a serious liturgy, you're not going to be a great church. And here's what we do. The church today in America, we file people in and we sit and we listen to lectures and we have discussions and we have our strategies and such. But if we don't have, uh, um, uh, along with our doctrine and our serious liturgy, if we don't have a lot of laughter, we're missing Jesus. We're missing who Jesus is. And man, as a church, can we, can we make a covenant to be this way? The 9.30 seemed like they were down with it. What do you say, 11 o'clock? Let's put our faith in Jesus. Let's wrap our arms around each other and let's learn to laugh a lot. It's good medicine. Let's take each other to the medicine cabinet. All these benefits and this influence. And by the way, the, the uh, Greek New Testament says they enjoyed peace. They, they had this joy and this peace that uh, went together. We lose this in most of our translations, but they, they enjoyed each other. How cool would it be if Sunday morning gathering in your group, when you circle up, it wasn't, we weren't persuading your reluctance. We were tapping into your willingness because there was gladness in the room. There was delight. Like you longed to be with people because you knew there would be laughter. You knew they would see you and they would notice you and they would hear your story and they would be there for you and you could rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep. And we would be a family where we wrap arms, put our faith in Jesus, wrap arms around each other and laugh a lot together. There's a famous proverb for other reasons. It's Proverbs, um, don't put it up yet, it's Proverbs 31. And when I say Proverbs 31, what do you think of? The, the virtuous woman. And tucked away in this, I say it's tucked away, in the midst of what, a, what Solomon's description of a virtuous woman, there's this 25th verse. And it says this, and it's so strong, y'all. It says, strength and honor are her clothing. And she can laugh at the time to come. What is this saying? It's saying, by the way, strength and honor, laughing at the time to come, let's pick that up first. That means she's not afraid of the future. She's not afraid of aging. She's not afraid of being in her current season with regretting the past season or being, as I said, fearful of the next season. Why? The first part, she's clothed in strength and honor. To be, and men, I believe there's a lot we can learn about the virtuous woman. Because most of us, as I get older and hang out with older people, I'm realizing that not a lot of us are clothed with strength and honor. We are fighting the season that we're in. And this one, what what an unbelievable statement. When I read it this week, it, it took my breath away in almost a literal way. Strength and honor is not disconnecting from the real emotion. Strength and honor is discerning what needs to happen and who you are and God, how God made you and what's next. There's a, a writer, and women, I'm, men and women are on the hook for this one, but there's a writer, she's not a believer. And I've been reading some of her stuff and watching some of her stuff, and I actually prayed for her a couple of weeks ago that she'd come to faith in Jesus. Look at what she says, uh, Miss Louise Perry. It's my hypothesis that one of the features of late 20th century, early 21st century culture is that the normal life progression that women are supposed to pass through from maiden to mother to matriarch has been interrupted. And now we have a very widespread problem of women trying to remain in maiden mode permanently. Women who are not clothed with strength and honor are trying to fight the season that they're in. Men, we do well to think and to heed this powerful virtue in the virtuous woman. If you meet a man who's in his 40s and his 50s, and he's living with this eternal boyhood Peter Pan myth, and he's childish, not childlike, 
Can I tell you that man? Can I tell you what's true about that man? He's afraid. Well, he's, he's flexing, man. He's got some stuff. He's, he's afraid. He's afraid. He's not laughing at the future. He's very afraid of the future. So men and women, both of us, have to look at this honestly. Why are we afraid of aging? The answer, you may say, is vanity. It's cosmetic. Y'all, it's way more than that. The reason we're afraid of aging is because we're afraid of death. And this woman, because of strength and honor, is saying, I am laughing at the future. Is that another level of joy, do you think? Here's the thing about strength and honor. As a pastor, I've done so many funerals, way more weddings, but a lot of funerals. And I don't know if this surprises any of you, but you know what you hear at funeral homes as much as tears? You know what you hear? Laughter. You hear laughter as people gather and they're telling stories and recalling good memories and there's a lot of laughter. I'd submit to you that there may be more laughter at some funeral homes than there, than there is tears. There's something that a preacher group, we call it a foxhole humor. I don't know who coined the phrase. I hadn't taken the time to look it up, but foxhole humor is this thing, and maybe it's in your life or your profession where it's so hard, so stressful, so much pressure that you have to laugh just to stay sane. Foxhole humor. Hey, if you're too young, this might be lost on you, but life's a battle. Life's a battle, and we're in a foxhole, and you have to laugh in order just to stay sane. And I have, when we talk about being clothed with strength and honor and laughing at the funeral, I have been in a hospital room. And this is another, this is a whole nother level. Hear me out. Not, just, not the funeral home when someone has died and gone and you're around their loved ones and they're laughing and telling stories. But when you're in the funeral home and I've sat with a mother and her family, a young mom with really young children, and she knew that probably by the end of the week, uh, she, would, she, she would not be able to be those children's mom. And I've been with old, faithful followers of Jesus who knew they probably wouldn't make it through the night. And there's been smiles, and there's been laughter. And that, brothers and sisters, is strength and honor at a whole nother level. In the midst of the distress and affliction, there's this great joy. In the midst of what is hard and what anguishes you, there's this hope of the next life. So let me ask you, why in church, why when you're talking about influence, why make a big deal about good friends and laughter? Why, why tell the church that we should go to the medicine cabinet? What does is, what is this laughter stuff really have to do with God? I would ask you, what's your picture of Jesus? How do you picture Jesus? Well, preacher, you know, he was a man of sorrow, a man acquainted with grief. All right, good verse. I got it. I got that. Let me prove to you that joy is serious business. C.S. Lewis would say it's a serious business of heaven. But we need it and you need it and the church needs it today. Listen, Jesus hung around children a lot. Do you want me to drop the statistics on how often, how many times children laugh in a day versus how many times you laugh in a day? It's a, it's a Grand Canyon type of gap. Children laugh a lot and Jesus hung around children a lot. Jesus had a ragtag group of men, 12 men who followed him around. 
He cast out demons. He touched lepers. You think they had stories to tell at night? You think Jesus, these men, 13 of them uh, traversed mountains and they went fishing and they sat around the campfire several You think they didn't tell jokes? You think Peter wasn't the brunt of some jokes about fishing and stuff? Anybody with me there? Jesus had, he had joy. He hung out with children. He hung out with this uh, group of men. He told stories about um, the needle and camels and swallowing gnats and uh, stories about the plank uh, in your eye and the speck in another person's eye. We don't see those as funny because we're reading them years later as words on a page. But to his listeners, to those listening to him, they laughed. It was good stuff. It was humor at its finest. And it was humor with a point that taught and penetrated deep into our hearts. Jesus as God, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as a friend of sinners. They accused him of being a glutton. They accused him of being a drunk. I bet you, I know he threw his head back a lot and laughed with people just based on the accusations alone. Jesus had humor. Jesus, laughter was very important to him. It was the, the way that he lived. He's the creator. Look at creation. What brings you joy? Who makes you laugh? Just look at how God has created this world. Nature is awesome. It's amazing. It's fearful. It's terrifying. Uh, Some of it's hard to accept, but nature is so beautiful. Our kids are pretty much out of the house now, and we miss them. It's a good season. We're proud of them, happy for them. But uh, our laughter, I look back at Susan and I in our life, and it was mostly around the kids. They would just make us laugh, or we'd make them laugh. Now it's Milton the Golden Retriever, and our dog is probably like your dog. Every night, uh, he gets the zoomies, and what does he do? He zigzags, he crosses over, he runs around, and we play games, and we laugh. Do you know that wombats have the zoomies? Do you know that? You can, you can go to YouTube and see wombats, and they're zooming around. They get the zoomies, and they run. Now, they're thick and kind of heavy. It's a little awkward. They're not as quick as my Milton or your dog probably, but it's hilarious to watch these wombats and, and with their zoomies. God created. Look around you, and you see that God has a sense of humor. God desires that we, that we laugh. Anybody dialed into the fact that it's um, people can't take jokes much anymore? Anybody dialed into that? It's a really, really different culture. It's hard on people and public speakers and if you write and all. And back in the day with Campus Crusade, I used to MC uh, Christmas conferences and spring break conferences and single retreats at different places. And the humor was like, people were just less offended. But nowadays, the people were, were wound pretty tight. And I, you know, I don't want to argue with anybody later, but I mean, there's a, you know, humor should never offend or never should intend to offend, but maybe we need a cup of coffee. Maybe we need to sit down and talk about this um, just a little bit more because, um, you have an option where you don't have to be offended by everything. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you, ready for this? You can choose not to be offended. We need to laugh, and we need to learn to make each other laugh. And we need to, listen, if you're taking yourself too seriously, you're not taking Jesus serious. And with the Spirit of the Lord, there's fun, and there's joy, and there's laughter, and we're picking on ourselves, and we're picking on other people. We're not putting people down or whatever. And I understand there's all kind of things to be offended about, but y'all, we need to learn to laugh. And I would encourage us as a church to broaden the swath of like what's funny and what we can laugh at, and let's not take ourselves uh, too seriously. In the midst of our liturgies and our discussions and our doctrines and our budgets and our strategies, we need to put our faith in Jesus, wrap our arms around each other, 
and laugh more than we do. Um, when I was young growing up, we had someone that would come to our house a lot and help take care of us. She quoted the Bible a lot. Uh, she would tell me I was foolish as in my youth, and she was right. Uh, this was back in the day, mostly in the 70s, when kids would just get up, would sleep in when it wasn't a school day, and then we would just go play in the neighborhood. Nobody had a phone. Nobody checked in. You'd just go, and when the sun, came, when the sun was going down, you'd come back home for supper, we called it uh, back then. But uh, there was a lady who helped take care of us, and she loved the Lord. She quoted the scripture. She was a chain smoker. I mean, she'd just be smoking in our house. And when I would walk in some afternoons to get a snack, this would be playing. Like sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. And as a little boy, I'd walk through that smoke going, <coughs> how depressing. How depressing. If this is your life, now I want to get serious. If this is your life and your life is about sand slipping through your fingers and then you die and the lights turned out and nobody remembers you and you move in some state of unconsciousness, then I wouldn't have much of a sense of humor either. But if your life and mine is more than just sand through an hourglass, Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses, teach us to number our days. We may live 70 or 80 years. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. If this life is a dress rehearsal for the next one, I think we ought to laugh more. If, if this life, understanding this, man, this is, just, this is just setting us up for the real life, for the life of every. That changes. I, I think that changes, oh, everything. I think it changes everything everything. The psalmist would say, and we're starting a series before Easter called uh, Questions. We're going to ask, look at some of the questions that the writers in the Psalms ask. There's a statement in Psalm 16 and verse 11, in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I asked you a moment ago, how do you see Jesus? What's your view of God? Can I say leave room for pleasure and leave room for joy? And here's the cool thing, it's eternal. And uh, I want to be a testimony in my life of laughter and fun, not where I'm putting people down. And I've learned, my wife tells me to check my sarcasm at the door sometimes. And she says, hey, let's go to a comedy club. She ain't making it better. But, but eternity, there's eternity that's this gift for us. In the 60s, at the height of the sexual revolution, a band came on the scene called The Birds. And they sang a song, it rose to number one. And it was straight out of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 3, the first eight verses. Anybody ever heard this song? Real quick, just a quick. You got to be like the DJ, just kind of fade in, you know, coming back with a no-talk triple play. Um, Y'all remember this, anybody? I see a gentleman over here, looks roughly my age. He was, he was nodding uh, before I, as I was setting the song up, straight out of scripture. 
And if you study Hebrew poetry, Ecclesiastes 3, 4, it says, it says this, a, a time to cry, we heard him sing it, and a time to laugh. If you get past those 60s haircuts, by the way, 60s were great, put some respect on the 60s. A time to cry and what? A time to say it, church, and a time to? And if you study Hebrew poetry, you'll see that they call this um, a hinge verse in this section of Scripture. The time to laugh is a hinge verse. The hinge person in human history was Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, we'll end here. It says this. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, that's our responsibility. The pioneer, the perfecter, the author and finisher, some versions say, of our faith. For what? For the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Time after time after time, even at my age, even with my profession, I put all kind of emphasis right here always on this part. And hey, it's good to emphasize the passion of the Christ, undoubtedly. But what about this? This is just as real for the joy set before him. We see this in his teachings. We see this in his relationship with children, with the men that he discipled. We, we see this in his character. In John 17, 13, it says, I'm teaching you these things so that you will have the full measure of joy, my joy within you. And for the joy, he endured the cross, despising it's shame, rejection, abandonment, brutality, a body broken, blood spilled, but he did it with joy. For us, it's an invitation. It's not a nice little historical moment. It's an invitation of a whole new way that we could live, that no matter the affliction, no matter the distress, we can have joy. We can have his joy. Not a clever laugh line, not a cool joke. We could put more people up on the screen than John Belushi and Phil Hartman and Chris Farley and Robin Williams. There's many more names. I don't want to be one of them. I don't want you to be one of them. I want you to know the joy that Jesus brings. As our team comes up and we close in song and prayer, I want to ask you a question. Put on your thinking cap here. I'm asking you to speculate. Maybe don't do it out loud. Just have a number in your head. How many Starbucks are there in America? How many Starbucks would you say there are in America? Here's your, here's your answer. 16,000. And for us, I see some of your reactions. For us, we, we have said, maybe you've said this when you travel America, you say, man, there's a Starbucks on every corner. There's some places I think there's a Starbucks there and a Starbucks there. There's a lot, that, that's a lot of Starbucks. Second question, a follow-up. How many churches do you think there are in America? Have a number up here. Would you say it's double that? I'm going to try to start you out. Is it double that? You ready? Over 400,000 churches in America. What if we became more right brain, not just left brain? What if we had our doctrine and our liturgies and our meetings and our budgets and our strategies? But what if we thought about warmth and affection and tears and laughter and go into the medicine cabinet and following Jesus with joy? I said this at the first service, but we'd love to help you if we can. But some people need a joy mentor. You need someone to hold your hand and walk with you through this next season of life to help you get through what you're going through and remind you that you need, you need to laugh. Would you stand with me? I'll pray for us. Father, bless this time of invitation and prayer. Lord, we preach a gospel that demands a response. And we want people to find faith and express it in love. We want to make disciples. We want to be here. 
uh, for people to receive Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity in the first service to baptize and um, to see these parents down front with tears in their eyes rejoicing with their daughter. And uh, Lord, would you help us make the next step with you that we need to make. For some, it's accepting you as our Savior and Lord. For some, it's being baptized. For some, it's stepping into service or into community. For some, it's growing deeper and guarding our heart and opening up our lives to what you, the Spirit, can produce in us. And I'm reminded as we close that joy is this virtue and it's produced by you. It's fruit of the Spirit in us, knowing that we're free. you we pray. Amen. Come today if we can pray with you.